are in the middle of a fantastic week, both for sports and for other reasons. We got the NBA playoffs going on. The NHL playoffs are going on. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to kind of give a kind of give an outsider's perspective of the NHL playoffs because um, I don't watch a lot of the NHL very often. Um, but hockey playoffs is always a ton of fun to watch. So I'm going to give an outside perspective on that once we get into it a little bit. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, NBA playoffs, like I said. We're talking a little bit about the Kentucky Derby, which I did not think I was going to be talking about today. But, you know, everybody knows the story there and a bunch of other stuff that's going on. So we got that going on. NBA bat, NBA playoffs are going on, like I said, this week. But by far the biggest thing this week, by far the biggest thing this week, we get new Kenny this week. It is Kenny week. Our first Kendrick Lamar album since 2017. Oh, five years ago, six years ago, whatever the math is on that, absolutely insane. And we finally get new King Kendrick Lamar music. I've been listening to Kendrick Lamar since my sophomore year in college, or not college, excuse me, high school, when I first did listen to um, Section 80, which is, was his uh, one of his first albums to be dropped. His first uh, EP, I guess, to be dropped was Section 80 a long time ago. And I listened to that. Uh, back in 2012, when I was a sophomore in high school, I graduated in 2015. So yeah, 2012, 2013, something like that. So that was almost 10 years ago. I've listened to every single one of his albums ever since. There's not a more influential and incredible artist in the music industry today than Kendrick Lamar when it comes to instrumentals, the messages that he's trying to send through his music, the rhymes that he creates, the verses that he puts out there. There's not a better musical artist in the industry today than King Kendrick Lamar. In my opinion, everybody wants to have this Kendrick Lamar versus Drake argument. That is thrown out the window. Whoever has that argument, you're insane. It's Kendrick Lamar or nobody, period. And we get a new album this week, dropping on Friday. So it's going to be a good week. It's pay week this week. You know, you get paid on uh, Friday, Sunday, whoever you are, the 15th, whatever, however you get paid. I get paid on Friday this week. It's a good week. We're getting new Kendrick Lamar. I'm getting paid. We get NBA playoffs. We got NHL playoffs. Everything's kind of coming together for a good, you know, halfway through May, getting into summer. It's a good week. I'm excited. It's going to be a ton of fun. And here we are doing the podcast. So we're going to do a podcast. It's time for the podcast. But something I forgot to bring up last week, and I couldn't believe it. I could not believe I forgot to bring it up last week. I, I mean, the anniversary of it was, that was would have been... Saturday. So I guess it's a little bit, it may have been a little too early last week to bring it up, but we got the anniversary of one of my favorite moments in the history of baseball um, this past week. And I'm going to play it for you because anybody that knows this audio knows what this moment is. And um, let me just play it for you. So this happened seven years ago on the state, or not on the state, May 7th. So Saturday, last Saturday, uh, May 7th. It would have been the seven-year anniversary of this moment. Cologne looking for his first hit of the year. He drives one. Deep left field. That goes Upton. Back near the wall. It's out of here. Bartolo has done it. The impossible has happened. The team vacates the dugout as Bartolo takes the long trot, his first career home run, and there will be nobody in the dugout to greet him. (laughs) 
This is one of the great moments in the history of baseball. Bartolo Colon has gone deep. I want to. And it was truly one of the greatest moments in the history of baseball. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget where I was sitting when that happened. I'll never forget watching that highlight for the first time and thinking to myself, oh my God, I just watched a unicorn prance across my front yard. That's how incredible that moment was. Bartolo Colon hitting a home run off of James Shields against the San Diego Padres back on March, excuse me, May 7th, uh, 2016. So seven years ago, by the way, that clip is courtesy of SNY, um, the Mets uh, regional broadcast team. And yeah, Bartolo Colon kind of has this folklorian um, kind of persona around him that nobody really else has in the MLB, in the history of the MLB. Most people that have that kind of folklore persona around them in any sport, really, they're either one of the greatest players of all time or, you know, something like that. So your Ken Griffey Jr.'s is kind of a folklore persona, the kid, that sort of thing. Michael Jordan, obviously the goat in basketball. Um, Babe Ruth, folklore persona, mainly because, I mean, not mainly, but he was fantastic at what he did, but he's dead now. So that helps add to the folklore persona that is Babe Ruth. Um, but yeah, you get these folklore personas that are interesting. And Bartolo's one of them only because of the way he carried himself on the field and who he was and his image. He doesn't, you know, he's not a guy that when you look at him, totally boasts MLB professional baseball player. He was a bigger dude, smaller in stature in terms of, um, you know, height. He was only 5'11", but he was, you know, closer to 300 pounds and he threw the, he's a pitcher and he threw the baseball, you know, not, not the greatest in the world, but he was a great pitcher for a long time. He pitched till he was 45 years old. He he went to the all-star game. He got voted as an all-star at the age of 43 in that 2016 season. He was also an all-star in 2013 when he was 40 years old and he won the Cy Young at the age of 32. Um, And he was a four-time all-star overall and that one Cy Young. He also played for like seven teams or something like that. I think it was more than that. Let me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams. He played for 11 teams in throughout his career. So he bounced all over the place. Um, and he was just a ton of fun to watch for, for guys like me, you know, heavier set dudes that don't have a, a lot of people to cheer for in the MLB, if that makes sense. Um, Bartolo Colon was that guy. He was a great pitcher and he was tons of fun to watch. And the big thing about that home run that people don't talk about enough is just the absurdity of it. Bartolo Colon in his career as a hitter, I mean, he's a pitcher, so he's not necessarily a very good hitter, but he was a really bad hitter leading up to that point. He was terrible. He had an 084 batting average in his career. Um, he struck out 166 times out of 326 plate appearances in his career, and he only had uh, four doubles in his entire career and one single home run. And it was that home run that he hit back in 2016. And um, it's truly, I mean, it only added to his, his uh, persona. He, you know, that's a legendary moment that will live on forever in the history of the MLB. And uh, rightfully so, because it's a fun moment. And if you go watch that clip that I just played, go actually watch it. It's even funner to watch because the team, he kind of, the the commentator and the the play-by-play announcer in that moment kind of kind of alluded to it, the, um, the entire Mets team leaves the dugout because that was kind of the 
the celebration thing that people did back then. If it was your first career home run or something like that, the entire team leaves the dugout. So when you come back to the dugout, there's literally nobody there. It's just you standing there. So the entire Mets team, Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, a bunch of other guys, they all leave the dugout. They all go down into the tunnel and they're all celebrating and having a glorious time because it's Bartolo Colon and everybody loved cheering on big Bartolo Colon. So yeah, that clip is incredible. One of the great moments, truly one of the greatest moments in the history of the game. Um, and, you know, guy guy by the nickname of Big Sexy hitting a home run for the first time. Of course, you're going to celebrate that. Who isn't going to celebrate that? It's a ton of fun to watch. And Bartolo Colon, who's retired now, hasn't played since 2018. Um, again, played till he was 45 years old. Played, till, played for 21 years. First started in 1997 with the Cleveland, then Indians, now the Guardians. Um, and played until 2018, where he finished his career with the Texas Rangers. And, um, I mean, he's not a Hall of Famer by any means. You know, four-time All-Star, one-time Cy Young winner. But he is a fan-favorite Hall of Famer for sure. He will go down in history as one of those players that everybody will remember just because it was big, sexy Bartolo Colon. So, that's one of my favorite moments. I didn't get to really touch on it last week because that was a little... It was a little too early to talk about it. That was that I recorded what that Tuesday, the event or that uh, anniversary was that Saturday. So I'm a couple days behind, but you know, whatever we're talking about it now. And I love talking about that moment because it is truly one of my favorite moments in the history of MLB period cut and dry. One of my favorite moments in the history of the game. Okay. So moving on here, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the NBA this week outside perspective on uh, the NHL. I'm not going to have a whole lot of thoughts about the NHL. I'll be honest with you. Um, I wrote some notes down about, I watched the avalanche game on Monday as well as the Panthers game on Monday and the penguins game on Monday. And uh, I just have some outside perspective, a couple notes that I just wrote down and I'll just say into the microphone and you guys take it as you, you know, take it as you will. Um, But first things first, we're going to talk about something that popped up today um, recently, I don't know if it was today, more, more yesterday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, kind of in that area. Um, the Denver Broncos, this is more of a local story. The Denver Broncos, it's been up in the air for a while now that they are probably going to be sold, uh, since, um, the family of the former Broncos owner, Pat Bolin, he passed away. So Pat Bolin passed away back in 2019 and, uh, the family has been kind of looking to sell the franchise ever since he passed away. And, um, it came out today that the Broncos are reportedly, not today, Tuesday, Monday, like I said, they're reportedly expected to be sold for more than $5 billion. Um, it's an increase from the previous expectation, um, which was uh, $4 billion back in February, I believe. Uh, they were expected to easily break the current record sale of $2.35 billion for a U.S. professional sports team. That was uh, the Brooklyn Nets. They sold back... Uh, I can't remember when they sold, but they sold a while ago for $2.35 billion. And um, Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post reported that the Broncos were easily going to exceed that. And uh, the current record for an NFL franchise is uh, $2.275 billion for the Carolina Panthers. But the increasing value, obviously, of the television deals, the naming rights or the, the rights uh, and the availability of other revenue streams, such as, you know, the gambling, DraftKings, FanDuel, all that stuff adds only to the amount of money that is in football and that will contribute to uh, Denver sale. And according to Mike Kliss of nine, nine new nine news, excuse me, reported that the team has narrowed the list of candidates down to five investment groups 
um, including that uh, of Rob Walton, who was a longtime chairman of Walmart and his associates, as well as a group that includes Philadelphia 76ers co-governor Josh Harris and Todd Bowley, who is an investor in the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Lakers. And he is also one of the bidders. So that's three people, uh, three groups, if you will. And there's also two other bidding groups who prefer to remain anonymous. So, and they also hope that the, um, uh, the process of selling the team will happen over the, uh, the 2022 campaign of the, um, you know, the season for the Denver Broncos. So we'll see what happens there. $5 billion though, is obviously going to double the amount that, uh, the previous record was, which was Carolina. Like I said, who was $2.275 billion. Um, pretty crazy. We're not going to see Kanye West and Antonio Brown by, by the team. That was a popular thing that was floating around. I guess, what, what was it, a few months ago when this first came out that the Denver Broncos were really exceeding, you know, they were accelerating talks to kind of sell the team. That was a popular name that came up. But um, the NFL and all its, um, you know, good or bad knowledge of itself with the owners, you know, not really all, not all of them really are uh, too fervent of having, they're not really in favor of having a guy like Antonio Brown and Kanye West run a team. I'll just kind of put it that way. You can kind of write that in your own mind as you will. Um, and, you know, they're not exactly some of these guys, some of the owners and, you know, Dan Snyder being the main one I'm thinking of right now, aren't exactly the um, sharpest tool in the shed is what I would say. Uh, the things that are following the Washington commanders right now um, isn't exactly beautiful. They're uh, kind of a blight on the National Football League as it as it stands right now, just how that team is run and everything like that. So um, a, a group full of those guys and all, you know, again, all 29, what is it, 31 teams, I guess, or something like that, 31 other teams need to approve of the sale of the Denver Broncos to whoever they pick. And I don't imagine a, a situation where Antonio Brown and Kanye West owning a football team would be approved by all 31 other owners. So that's not going to happen. Obviously they're not in the group of people that I just listed. They could be one of the other two bidding bidding part of the other two bidding groups that prefer to remain anonymous. That's totally possible. But of the groups that I named Rob Walton, um, Josh Harris and Todd Bowley, who are, are the three ones that obviously did put their name out there. I don't think they are a part Kanye West or Antonio Brown are part of the, any of those groups. So it looks like it's going to go to one of those guys, one of those five people, one of those five groups. And, um, as it happens, as it stands right now, as the season gets going, the professional football season gets going, um, the Broncos are probably going to have new ownership by the time the season is over. So we'll see what happens there. I don't know exactly what new ownership would bring to the Denver Broncos entirely, to be honest with you. It's kind of a, I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of point at anything, you know, concessions, parking, that's all kind of decided by the ownership groups. Um, so who really knows what's going to happen? Even relocation, even though I don't think the Broncos are going to relocate anytime soon. They get plenty of, you know, television notice, um, TV rights and stuff like that, that they don't really need to relocate. They have tons of ticket sales, that sort of thing. Enough popularity in the Denver area to relocate. So that's not going to be a problem, I don't think. Um, but that's all kind of chosen, you know, decided by the ownership group. So I don't see, you know, relocation happening, but, you know, anything from concessions to parking to the logo of the team to, you know, what have you, different stadium renovations, the prices of seating, uh, season ticket prices, that sort of stuff is kind of left up to the ownership group. So we'll have to see what happens there. I don't know what's going to happen if it gets sold to any of those guys. I have no clue, but a new ownership in 
any sense is going to jostle some feathers and change things around. So regardless of what happens, things will change for good or for worst. Who knows? We'll just have to see what happens there. Um, so Denver Broncos up for $5 billion. Moving on, the Nuggets, not really the Nuggets, Nikola Jokic, he became a back-to-back MVP winner, winning the award over Joel Embiid on Monday. It was announced on Monday that he um, won his uh, second straight MVP award over Joel Embiid. Not really a huge surprise. There are some people making some noise that it should have been Joel Embiid, but if you just look at the statistics, the regular season statistics, and even partial playoff statistics, um, it was Jokic all the way. He was the best player throughout the entire season. Not going against Joel Embiid. He's a fantastic player, playing on a fantastic team. Um, one of the greatest, one of the best big men seasons we've ever seen for both of these guys, to be honest. Um, but Jokic, he powered Denver to the sixth seed in the Western Conference, um, despite being without obviously two of their biggest co-stars in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., who most or who missed most or pretty much all of the season due to injury. He's the 15th player in league history to win back-to-back MVP or multiple MVPs, excuse me. And he's the second straight, second straight to win back-to-back MVPs after Giannis Antetokounmpo won it twice for the Bucks. Um, and Jokic nearly won the vote over Joel Embiid, like I said, and Antetokounmpo. Uh, his final stat lines for the season, for the regular season, more, uh, more so, uh, he had 27.1 points per game, 13.8 rebounds per game, and 7.9 assists per game. And we kind of touched on it a little, a couple podcasts ago. I believe the 27-year-old Serbian became the first NBA player in the history of the NBA to record 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 500 assists in a single season. They led the league with 19 triple doubles. Um, he got They got ousted by the Warriors. The Nuggets did in the first round. Um, the Nuggets do expect to get Murray and Porter Jr. back this next season. And Jokic is eligible for a Supermax um, Supermax extension worth $254 million guaranteed um, if he does sign an extension. And I can't imagine a scenario in which Denver backs out of a deal with Jokic to not sign him. He clearly the best player in the league, obviously, won back-to-back MVPs over the past two seasons. And if he had a little bit better help around him, he they would be contending for, you know, a one seed in the West. You know, if injuries hadn't plagued that team over the past few years, they'd be contending for finals appearances. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. $254 million guaranteed. Sounds like a lot of money, but if you look at the industry that they're in, how much money the NBA is actually worth, how each team, how much, much um, each team is worth these TV rights deals that they sign, the gambling deals that these people, that these teams sign $254 million is more than enough for a guy like Jokic. Um, on this team. And I don't, I hate that. argument. I hate you guys know how I feel about that stupid argument. The argument that it's just a sport. It's just a game. Why are we paying these people this much? Look at what they're doing. Okay. Look at what Jokic just said. He is the best player in the world at what he does. Period. Any other person that does any other job, if they were the best in the world at what they did, they would get paid like it. Just like anything else. That's how the world works. It is a game. It's a sport, but not to these guys. It's their livelihood. This is how they make money, period. It is an entertainment industry, and the entertainment industry that they are working in gets billions upon billions of dollars, so they should get paid like the people that provide that entertainment for the entertainment industry, period, plain and simple. I will stand by that stance until I die and until you know basketball player, or basketball teams and basketball in general, the NBA more uh, mainly, stops making billions and billions of dollars off of TV rights deals and stink and things like that. So don't have that argue with me. $254 million guaranteed. 
is totally fine by me. I do not care. He deserves it. And a lot of these guys that play this game totally deserve money like that, period. Um, Moving on to the NBA playoffs, um, the rest of the NBA playoffs, the Celtics and Bucks series. That's part of the Eastern Conference semifinal right now. Um, The Celtics and Bucks, they're tied at the moment. Uh, It was game four on Monday and an unlikely hero in game four gave Boston the bounce back road win that they needed to not up the series with Milwaukee. Al Horford, the legend Al Horford, old man Horford, he had 30 points. He went 11 for 14 from the field and five of seven from three alongside 30 points from uh, Jason Tatum as well. Horford got a technical after a dust up with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then out of those two people, if your money was on, on Al Horford to take over, then you would have won a lot of money because Al, For- Al Horford took over. The Celtics went off in the fourth quarter and outscored the Bucks by 15, and their, star- their starter shot 53% in, game- in, the, uh, in the game for a win. And it's all square headed back to Boston. So game five will be in Boston, and then game six will be back in Milwaukee, and then game seven, if needed, will be back in Boston as well. Another game four that happened on Monday, the Warriors, Golden State Warriors defeated the uh, Memphis Grizzlies 101 to 98. The Grizzlies look like they might have been able to steal a road game even without John Morant in game four. But Steph Curry, who had 32 points, had other plans in the fourth quarter. Golden State was coached by Mike Brown because Steve Kerr um, contracted COVID-19. So Mike Brown was out there coaching the Warriors in this game. And uh, the Dubs trailed by uh, a dozen points with 10 minutes left to play in the fourth quarter. But Curry's 18 fourth quarter points brought the Warriors back. He went eight for eight from the free throw line in the waning moments to secure the win as well. And the Warriors are the only team with an advantage in the conference semifinals so far after four games with Warriors leading that series three games to one. And uh, the Warriors are back, man. They're here. They're they're back to being the Warriors of old. We thought we had gotten rid of them when Kevin Durant went away and um, Clay Thompson went down with a couple injuries. It kind of looked like the, the Warriors ship was kind of teetering on its edge. But here we are. I mean, they look like the most dominant team in the Western Conference and you know, being in the Western Conference, they look like the most dominant team in the league other than maybe the Celtics, even though they're tied with the Bucks 2-2 now. Um, that's probably my halfway pick um, for the finals now is probably the Warriors-Celtics. I can see the Suns getting out of uh, that Maverick series, but the Suns have kind of had to put up a dogfight in two pass rounds. They won in six against the Pelicans in the first round, but now the Mavericks are kind of giving them, giving them a, a tough time after going up 2-0. And um, that series is tied 2-2 as well. And then the Sixers and the Heat, the Heat haven't looked that great the past two games. They were up 2-0 as well, and it's kind of all fallen apart for the Heat. And they've lost their shooting touch from behind the arc, and now they're tied 2-2 with the Sixers, and it's kind of, that 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 series can kind of go any which direction. And the Warriors look like the team that deserve to be in the in the finals out of everybody in this group, out of the Celtics, Bucks, Grizzlies, Heat, Sixers, Mavericks, and the Suns, the Warriors look like the best team out of that entire group. So we'll see what happens there. Personally, I think the Warriors are probably the favorites to win another title. And if it's not them, I see the Celtics probably moving on as well. Um, Celtics, solid team, really good defensive team. Um, they just kind of need to string some better offensive games together as a whole, but their defense can kind of stick with anybody. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, with the NBA playoffs, and that's going to conclude the playoff section, the NBA playoff section of the podcast. So we're going to talk about Kentucky Derby. I did not think I was going to be paying attention to the Kentucky Derby when, uh, whenever that was Saturday, I guess, Saturday started. Um, I don't really pay attention to horse racing that much. I think horse racing is kind of 
I don't know, one one race a year, I'm like, okay, cool, let's watch this. I mean, not I mean, not even really watch it. Let's pay attention to it, just like everybody else. Now, I mean, there's a, f- a very few select amount of people that pay attention to horse racing throughout the entire year. You know what? Tip my cap to you. If you can, if you can, you know, pay attention to it as much as that, then more power to you. But the big story of this Kentucky Derby, the strike of riches, rich strike was his name. The horse's name, rich strike won the Kentucky Derby, an 80 to one long shot An 80 to one. It was one of the biggest upset in upsets in the history of the Kentucky Derby. The biggest one in 109 years. Um, and it's, you know, the fastest two minutes in sports is what it's kind of called. And it delivered the most shocking two minutes in the history of, um, in, in, especially over the past weekend in the sport. Um, it was the 148th Kentucky Derby. On Friday morning, Rich Strike wasn't even really kind of in the field. But then by Saturday night, he was the champion. Um, 80 to 1 long shot, like I said. So 80 to 1 if you're putting in gambling numbers. 80 to 1 if you put down $100 on plus 8,000 odds, which is basically what it is. Um, you would win $8,000 if you put a $100 bet down on Rich Strike. If you put $1,000 down, you can do the math there. It would have been $81,000 on Rich Strike. So truly an incredible upset. Um, horse racing is just kind of, I always thought it was kind of random, but I don't know, dude. I don't know horse racing. I just thought that was just crazy. Um, it is the greatest odds-on upset in the history of the Derby since 1913 when 91-1 to 1 long shot Donna Rail won it. Um, back in 1913, and to top it off, Rich, Rich Strike's time of two minutes and two seconds was within 1.5 seconds of the top 10 fastest finishes in the history of the Derby as well. So literally came out of nowhere and blew everybody off of the scene. And here we are now. Why not? Um, why not, Rich Strike? Win the Triple Crown, huh? Why not? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if he can. <laughs> um, Moving on to, that was just an interesting story I like to bring up. Everybody was kind of talking about it. But moving on to NHL playoffs, um, here are the notes I wrote down for NHL playoffs. The Avalanche were able to defeat the Predators 5-3. to three. They came down, they came back from, I believe it was 2-1 to one down, if I remember correctly. Um, so that was an impressive game. One of the notes I wrote down, um, Avalanche fast. <laughs> they run, they, they skate really fast, at least to my eyes. I could be completely wrong about this, but um, it looks like they they are running, or running, skating a lot faster than every other team that are on the ice, mainly the Predators, and they swept the Predators 4 to nothing in that series. Um, another one that I watched, uh, the uh, Florida Panthers taking on the Washington Capitals, and one thing's, one the thing I wrote down here on my notes, Florida Panthers, the one seed question mark, that's, the, that's one of the things I put down. Uh, they're tied 2-2 to the, the Capitals. They snuck away with one here against the Capitals. They were down 3-1 to one with, uh, or excuse me, 2-1 to one with just a few minutes uh, to go against the Capitals. And, and they tied it with the, an extra sixth man on the ice. And then um, Panthers won it in overtime over the Capitals. And now the series is tied 2-2. So the Panthers were in big danger of going down 3-1 to one as the one seed. They won the President's Cup, I believe. The Panthers won the President's Cup, which is the biggest... Um, the best regular season team in the league um, and according to record and points and stuff. So the Panthers as the favorite one seed were almost down three to one to the Capitals, but they went in overtime over the Capitals on Monday. And now the series is tied two to two heading back to Florida, I believe. And then um, another game that I watched the Penguins beat the Rangers, the Penguins or the Rangers, actually one of the higher seeded teams as well. And the Penguins just stomped them out seven goals to two. One of the, one of the things I wrote down on my notes as well, 
Hockey this high scoring question mark. That's what I put as well. I can't believe Penguins scored seven goals. Um, is that normally how it is? I have no idea. Seven goals seems like a lot in a game like hockey. I kind of equate it to, I mean, obviously not in physicality and stuff, but I try to equate hockey to like soccer when it comes to like scoring. You don't see seven to two very often in soccer games. So I don't, I could be totally wrong as hockey. This normally this high scoring seven to two seems like a lot. So I could be wrong there. I don't know. But the Penguins, they lead that series three to one as well. And hockey, man, playoff hockey is fun to watch. I mean, it really is. There's, I mean, it's pretty electric. Um, you know, it, the, you get to see the frozen biscuit kind of going all over the place. These guys are faster than everybody, anybody I've ever seen on the ice. Uh, and when a goal is scored, you can really feel it from the from the uh, the crowd that the crowds that are there. It's fun to watch. I mean, it is playoff hockey is a good time. And I heard I, I've heard a couple places as well that the President's Cup is stupid. Come on, dude. What? I get that people don't like to reward the regular season, but there should be a reward for being the best team throughout the regular season, period. You can withstand the injuries to get through the regular season as the best team with the mo- with the best record and the best points. I love that hockey does that. I think baseball needs to do that as well. And I think um, maybe not football because there's only 16 games, but um, hockey, need- hockey, I love that hockey does that. Baseball needs to do that as well. Definitely baseball needs to do that. 162 games. If you're the best team in the MLB at the end of their whatever five month onslaught that is the regular season, there needs to be like a a trophy that rewards the best team throughout the regular season in baseball. A hundred percent, I'm totally on board with that. And uh, basketball, basketball needs to have a um, a trophy for best regular season team as well. The Suns would have won that trophy, and if it would be cool, they got a best regular season trophy, and if they win the championship, if they win the the Larry O'Brien trophy, they could pair it right next to each other. It'd be a cool. Little thing to have best team during the playoffs, best team during the regular season. They're the best team period throughout the entire season. This would be cool to have. And especially for, uh, again, back to baseball, it would totally make sense. 162 game season. You don't see a lot of teams that have the best, that are the best team during the regular season. And then the best team during the playoffs period. Dodgers did it a few years ago during COVID, but it was 2020 again, COVID season. You can kind of count it. I don't know. I mean, that's up for debate. Um, And then last year, who won the who won the World Series last year? I just forgot it off the top of my head. Um, Braves Braves weren't the best team in the um, in the league last year, but they won the playoffs. So reward the team that had the best regular season. Why not the Dodgers? I think it was them last year. Give them the best regular season team. Period. They can have that trophy, but obviously the more important one is the World Series trophy. But you know, if you're the best team in the regular season, you should be rewarded for that. 162 games. If you can withstand for that long and still um, go into the playoffs as the best team. I think you should be rewarded for that. Call me crazy. That's how they do it in English soccer as well. They, that's how they do it in every soccer league as well. It's, you basically win um, you win the league by being the best team in the league throughout the season. And then they have a, a tournament for the best teams in the league the next season. So it's kind of confusing. I don't like how they do that, obviously. But I think it's I think it's a cool I think it's a cool award to have. So, you know, whatever that may be, I like it. I you know, I think it's an interesting uh an interesting, uh, an interesting award to have. The President's Cup is what it's called, and the Panthers have that. And uh, yeah, that's uh, they they won they won the President's Cup. They're a little shaky so far in the NHL playoffs against the Capitals, but um, tied two two going back to Florida. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and I hope the Avalanche win it. I, you know, being just for you know regional bias, I think it would be cool to see the Colorado Avalanche win the uh, the, uh, the 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 um, Stanley Cup. I think that'd be cool. Um, moving on, 
a couple of baseball notes really quick. It's been a pretty cool up and down um, week the last few days. Uh, Naylor, Josh Naylor, we had an incredible game in Chicago the other day. The Guardians topped the White Sox in Chicago on Monday, 12 to 9 in 11 innings. Uh, Josh Naylor, I just said his name, he had an historic eight RBI performance. Naylor smacked a, a game tying grand slam in the ninth. So they were down eight to four in the ninth inning. And then Josh Naylor hit a game tying grand slam in the top of the ninth inning. And then he had a three-run home run in the 11th inning to seal the win uh, for the Cleveland Guardians, beating the Chicago White Sox on the road 12-9 in 11 innings. That game was a ton of fun. Nasty Nestor quickly turning into, Nestor, Nestor Cortez quickly turning into one of my favorite players to watch in the MLB. If you haven't watched his pitching debut, or his uh, his pitching for the Yankees, go watch Nestor Cortez. He's a ton of fun to watch. He's a bigger dude. Not Bartolo Colon bigger, but a little bit of heftier, heftier dude. And he is a stud. He's kind of got that like, and he does it. He, he does it every so often. He doesn't do it all the time, but he does that Johnny Cueto thing where he kind of like changes up his motion depending on who's up to bat. So he'll go really quickly at one bat and then slow it way down when he's going into his windup uh, against another batter. And he's a ton of fun to watch. Anyways, Nasty Nestor is his nickname. Also a really good nickname. Uh, he took a no a no hitter into the eighth inning against the Rangers, and then uh, he, he struck out 11 over that span. And then Eli Eli White of the Rangers broke up the no-no with a single. And, uh, yeah, New York ended up winning that game regardless, one nothing. But, yeah, go watch Nestor Cortez. He's a ton of fun to watch. And uh, he's looking like their ace, to be honest with you. Garrett Cole, I know, they spent $300-plus million on him. And um, it looks like nasty Nestor Cortez is kind of looking like that guy out of the, you know, the, the second or third man in the rotation that's really stepping up and becoming the Yankees ace that they kind of need. Um, another one here, uh, Kyle Hendricks. He had a fantastic game against the Padres on Monday. He tossed a complete game shutout as the Cubs rolled, uh, or nearly tossed a complete game shutout, excuse me, as the as the uh, Cubs rolled the Padres 6 to nothing. He struck out 7 and allowed just 3 hits and 0 runs over 26 outs, 8 and 2 thirds innings. Um, Kyle Hendricks, one of the, uh, he's kind of an anomaly in today's game as a pitcher. Doesn't throw the ball fast at all. He's a, he's a Greg he's a Greg Maddox in a world full of Randy Johnsons, if that makes sense. Um, doesn't throw the ball very hard at all. He his fastball tops out at like low nineties, like ninety one, ninety two. He has a sinker that is disgusting. He throws a chain a circle changeup and a changeup that are just disgusting as well. That really throw off throw off um, hitters when it comes to speeds. And um, yeah, Kyle Hendricks he's fun to watch if you're into one of those classic ground ball pitchers. That is your guy to watch. He is the premium example of a ground ball pitcher in um, the MLB today. So those are a couple of um, MLB notes that I have written down here that were pretty fun to watch over the last few days. And I think, I think that's going to wrap up this week's podcast. Um, not a lot of huge news to really talk about other than just kind of recapping the weekend. So that's what we're doing. And of course, Bartolo Colon doing his thing um, seven years ago, hitting the dinger, the greatest dinger in the history of the, in the history of the MLB. And so, kind of recollected on that as well. So thank you very much for tuning in again. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google podcasts, anything like that, please make sure to rate and subscribe. Um, the ratings kind of help me get up into the what's hot playlist section. If that makes sense of uh, Spotify or iTunes or what have you, and uh, kind of gets me some more, um, some more notice from people that wouldn't normally listen to this podcast if they're not in Wyoming or what have you. So please do that. Rate and subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. And then uh, also coming up this weekend, the Sheridan Troopers are playing at home against Powell. 
Um, and we will have that broadcast for you on sharedmedia.com, also on 1410 AM and 106.9 FM and on sharedmedia.com, Shared Media Facebook page, where we will be video live streaming it. So if you want to watch the game, make sure you tune into that. And I will be doing commentary with Derek Scott. So I'd appreciate it if you turn into that. Give me some pointers, that sort of thing. I think we've been doing a pretty good job so far. Um, but, you know, we'll get better. Always, we need to get better just at a couple different things. And we'll get better. So we appreciate you guys tuning into that as well. And um, I want to thank you for tuning into this week's Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I have been your host, James Timberlake, and we're out.